Welcome to Search Talk Live with search engine optimization and marketing experts, Robert O'Haver and Matt Weber. Brought to you by Pixel Cut Labs. All right. Welcome back to another episode of uh, Search Talk Live. I hope everyone is in good health and uh, staying away from the coronavirus. Um, Matt, welcome to the show. Yeah, I'm hoping that everybody's binge binge listening to our form, previous podcast. Yeah, I, I would say so. Yeah, they got a lot of, lot more time on their hands. Yeah, that, that's my kind of view of the world right now. That everybody's just kind of hanging around listening to our old podcast. Is that yeah? Is that realistic? No, no. <laughs> and how are you doing in your effort to keep social distance? You doing well? Doing good, good. Having trouble finding toilet paper. <laughs> first world challenges yeah. Yeah. yeah it's hard for us to keep social distance here in the luxurious studios of search talk live yeah yeah good thing it's hermetically sealed and you know we have to worry about right it anyway. yeah <laughs> but anyway today guys we're going to be talking about uh, uh you know as we always do seo and uh kind of a, a different take on it uh we're going to be talking about how the coronavirus can affect uh search the way people are searching and also, uh, you know, the, uh, it's generally how world events and how current events affect correct. your SEO strategy. We're going to talk a little bit about the BERT update and, uh, how that affects search. Um, and a whole bunch of other things. <laughs> if you have questions, you can go on Twitter and type hashtag search talk live. Uh, if you're interested in being a guest on the show, you can also, uh, email me, Robert at search talk live.com. Uh, and I'd like to mention our sponsors, Pixel Cut Labs and Directive. Uh, thank you for sponsoring the show. Uh, without you, this wouldn't be possible. And I'm sure our listeners appreciate it too. Um, well, let's get on with the show. Uh, today, our guest is. Uh, did you want to introduce? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. We've got a great expert on today's topic. We've got the founder of MediaWise, Casey Marquis. And Casey's also a noted speaker and author, a prolific speaker and author, all throughout the country on SEO and a true SEO expert. And we're really pleased to have him as part of the show. Hello, and, Casey. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me in this uh, in times. It's always fantastic to be here. <laughs> I always wonder what the apocalypse is going to be. We're going to do that, it's, and he's not going to be there. Run on toilet paper. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Welcome to the show. You're like, this is like your what fourth or fifth time. Yeah, I think it's the third. I think it's my third time. Oh, is it so your I, third? Okay. I do. I do appreciate the opportunity. It's always great to be back here. So, uh, clearly you had a slow schedule. That's fine. I'm happy to jump in. Never boring. <laughs> That's why I saw the never boring space here. with his name giving, on it. Giving some, give me something to do here in San Diego while we're, uh, you know, practicing our social distancing. Good yeah. times. Yeah, yep, definitely. Um, so let's get on with it. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and, and uh, expertise? Oh, okay. Thanks so much. So my name is Casey Markey. I'm the founder of MediaWise. It's a small uh, consultancy here in San Diego County. I've been an SEO since about 99. Um, I, my specialty is mostly site auditing. And my subspecialty really within site auditing is food, lifestyle, and do-it-yourself blogs. I have been devoted slowly – solely to those probably since about 2016 and it's it's been great it's a very fast changing ever reaching niche food bloggers specifically are always the first to embrace changes in schema and they're also used as test cases by google for many search experiments so i always see a lot of what's happening 
in advance, then you might see it roll out across other niches. So it's it's great. Nice. Good times. Well, Casey, we want to kind of dive into the topic that everybody's talking about. Mm. COVID-19. Oh, they should say toilet paper. Uh, toilet paper. <laughs> yeah, that's topic number two. How is COVID-19 COVID, COVID affecting SEOs and SEO strategy today? And that's a very good question. That's a very good question. So it's mostly affected people in that there is a disruption in the natural, natural way we've been using Google search. A lot of bloggers are using my industry as an example, food, lifestyle, do-it-yourself niche. Food bloggers specifically have felt in many cases – like they've been hit algorithmically by Google. And that hasn't been the case. When traffic has been down or off considerably over the last three to four weeks, and this is, of course, as things have ramped up and we've started self-isolation and quarantining, whereas in this case, most food bloggers might be focusing on today, of course, being St. Patrick's Day. They were focusing on a lot of St. Patrick's-themed articles and, and content or getting ready to focus on Easter, which is coming up fast. They're finding that the majority of – unless they're focusing on very specific niches of recipes, they're suffering traffic drops, which feel extremely unnatural. You would think that you know most people would be indoors and they would be actually searching the internet more for recipes and other content, but they, they're not necessarily. They're actually spending time with family. They're doing other things like catching up on Netflix. They're working from home, which means that they're – their time is compacted. They don't necessarily have a lot of more free time as they did necessarily when they were working from an office space. So we're finding that bloggers who focus specifically on comfort food recipes, baking, and cocktails, not surprising, are doing extremely well in this current you know, climate, this current nervous climate that we're all part of right now. So user behavior has changed. Uh, Neil Patel just put out an article yesterday where he – actually graphs out some of the categories where search volume has declined significantly and, of course, not surprisingly, travel is one of those categories, et cetera, and not surprisingly, medical is a category that's gone way up. But everybody has that temptation now to produce some kind of COVID-19-related content regardless of what their blog's about. So two questions for you. One, if somebody listening to the show is tempted to produce COVID-19 related content because of the tsunami of interest in it, how do they stand out? How can they make their content better? And second part of that question is, should they fight that temptation? Should they fight the temptation to tap into that swell of search traffic and stay true to their core? Or should they try to get a piece of that pie? Well, this is an easy question for me, and the answer to that is an emphatical no. They shouldn't even be touching this with a 10-foot pole because most of my clients are monetizing. And when you monetize, you have advertisers who are specifically doing fine targeting, and they're using negative keyword matching right now. Do you know what they do not want their ads to show on? Yeah. Anything that has to do with the coronavirus or COVID-19, none of that. So if you're a blogger on the call right now, and it's a week later when this goes live and you're looking at this – Definitely don't feel the need to start publishing content or to use trigger phrases like COVID-19, coronavirus, pandemic. I would really advise yourself not to use that kind of language in your regular content because you're going to find that, number one, advertisers are going to not want to show their ads on that content, and so it's not going to monetize. And number two, it's clear that Google is really going after this, these phrases specifically to make sure that only quality content is being surfaced. So it's very possible that you could just get weeded out. 
yeah. with regards to the many results that are going on right now. So I guess the answer to your first question is, hey, you know, if you're doing this, it better be because you have some very unique take that is value to the general public. But if you're a recipe blogger and you think that adding COVID-19 or coronavirus content is a way for you to kind of improve content or hit a rising trend, that's the wrong approach to take because it could hurt you. And most importantly, it's going to hurt your pocketbook because you're going to find that that stuff is not going to monetize because you're going to be blocked at the advertiser end. Do you even, would you even say that would be the same thing on if they did it like a promoted post on Facebook or something? I think Facebook has a very similar policy in place is that they're really decreasing the reach of certain content when they see those budwords in place. I, I will tell you that I, I have worked, uh, I don't have a lot of Facebook clients these days, but one of them is a law firm based in Los Angeles, and they've been publishing a lot of content recently on just the legal reper- repercussions that involve sheltering in place and conflicts between state and federal laws, and they've used COVID-19, they used pandemic, they've used other keywords there. We've promoted the posts and the reach on those posts have not been nearly what we thought they would be or what was been done previously. Now, that's a very small sample. It's the only direct evidence I have looking at those. But these posts, these promoted posts are not doing nearly as well as we thought they would. And we're running qualified ad campaigns on them. So I'm not sure if the reach has changed or what's going on, but there, it might be harder for that kind of content to get a footing with all of the disinformation that's going around online. I mean, I just saw a meme the other day about how, you know, you need to drink cold water and soothe your throat because if you can eliminate the, the, the coronavirus in your throat, you're good to go. And that's complete and utter nonsense. So it's just one of those things where those, that's kind of misinformation is going around all the time online. And I think a lot of Google, I think Facebook specifically, is taking a, a very overt approach and trying to combat that nip it in the butt, so to speak. Well, I hope that one meme about eating a lot of pizza to deter the virus, I hope that's not false too. No, that, so that's I've, I've, been, definitely, I've been banking that's definitely on that true. one. Or the drinking yeah, and, and the one about <laughs> drinking alcohol, yeah. the one about all the uh, tequila. I believe yeah. it was tequila. And I think that uh, – Gosh, I'm not sure what the name of the, the, the brand that came out and says, no, I'm sorry. I wish that that was the case, but it's not. I'm like, hey, you know, I, I'll try anything. So if I, I've upped my bourbon intake just to be safe. <laughs> well, so Casey, we'll what's a blogger to do if a, a blogger feels, and they can substantiate this, that maybe search traffic is down over the next couple of weeks because consumer behavior is changing pretty radically? What are some preventative steps? What are some good things they can do? Okay, I've got this time that maybe isn't best served cranking out content right now. What are some preventative maintenance or some maybe some things that I've been ignoring from an SEO standpoint that a blogger could do during this period? And that's a good question. And I would say a lot of that is to be uh, more administrative. I would say administrative and content-based. So let's talk about the administrator first. This would be a good opportunity for you to kind of take a quick dive into how your site is set up. Technically, have you dialed in your page speed? Are there any plugins that we need to update? Or have you looked at your hosting bandwidth? How is how are things performing on the technical bottom line level? Can I take a couple of my posts, run them through the structured data testing tool? Have I made sure that I filled out all that information there that maybe I've been lazy about filling in over the previous months and years? Now's a good time to kind of step back and look at trying to get those technical horses in a row, those technical ducks in a row, supposedly. I think that's the first thing I would look at. It's just trying to make sure that 
I, I get the site technically sound as possible. You know, running a crawl if I'm able to do that, or even seeking a second pair of eyes to go in and take a look at how the site is set up on the back end, seeing how things are. And then, of course, the second part of that is the content auditing. I, I'm a big believer in content auditing. The, the average site, especially on WordPress, 60 to 70% of everything on the site generates literally no traffic for them at all, period, over, a, over an extended period, anywhere from 90 days to six months. That's just content setting on the site, doing absolutely nothing. So I always use the, use the metaphor of a garden. You know, We have the content that's generating traffic. Those are your flowers. Everything else that's just sitting there, taking a crawl budget or doing absolutely nothing, those are your weeds. And just like in real life, if we don't pull the weeds from a garden, they'll eventually strangle the flowers. And that's really very similar to how we approach content auditing is we want to really cultivate that garden on a regular basis. Now is a good time to go in and look at all of this content sitting on your site. Maybe they're expired sponsored posts. Maybe they're post roundup posts from 2016. Maybe they're personal posts that you knew – we're never going to take off. Now's a good time to look at those. And if if you think that they have value on other platforms like Pinterest or Facebook, maybe we know index those so that we don't have those algorithmically counted against us. So but kind if we know, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say kind of equating it to like if you're getting for, ready for a race and you want to mm-hmm. tune up your car while you're yeah. da- right before the race, you know, you want to get it ready to go. Um down during the downtime, you take this time to beef it up. You know? Yeah. So go back and resuscitate some of that older content. Yeah. Yeah. Check through it. Make sure that you, maybe it can be updated. It was a good uh, piece of content when you first published it, but it's not quite evergreen. What can you add to it? What new research, what new content can you add to it? Would be a great time to do this right now. Yeah. And I just had an audit this morning with a site. It's one of the largest uh, food blocks in the world. They're averaging 10, 10 and a half million sessions a month online. And when we did a content on their site, I just pulled all their content out of Search Console and out of Google Analytics. There were 600 posts. They, granted, they only they have 2,000 posts and pages. 600 plus of those posts had not had one click in 90 days. So that's content that we need that I gave them in a spreadsheet and said, okay, we need to start bucketing this content. Here's content that we could look at updating and republishing right now. There's no seasonality component. You know, if someone's looking for a chicken dish, they're looking for chicken dishes today, tomorrow, and a month from now. And then the second bucket, that's seasonal content. Oh, it looks like you've got four posts here on how to make Halloween mummies. So, hey, that's great, but we're, we're not going to worry about this content until it's seasonally relevant. But you and your staff need to be directed to come back and look at this content in September and determine whether you're going to keep it or if you're going to update and republish it or if you're going to consolidate it down and have one bigger and better resource. And then most importantly, we have the third bucket, which is where we're going to no index or delete content. And I mentioned this previously um, before I was cut off there is that determining whether we're going to no index or delete content is really a big part of your future content success. A lot of people are like, oh, my God, I can't delete this. I don't want to get rid of it. And that's the wrong mindset to take mindset to take really because I know a lot of people treat their content like their babies but there's content on the site that you're just never going to make use of in the, in the case of this client today they had literally hundreds of these old outdated meal plans which in the kind of the situation we are now in a, in a post-BERT world in a, in a kind of this core update world where we're getting Google's hitting sites with core updates about every three months or so this kind of low-quality content hurts you. So if they've got 150 or 200 of these really low-quality meal plans 
which are just cross-linked no plans. They're really reciprocal linking devices, which is a small group of sites linked to each other and over and over again. And these posts are just sitting on the site doing absolutely nothing. There's no positive signals. There's nothing. People, you know, in a post-Panda world, and I'm sure you guys are aware of this, Google treats – Google grades content on the page level, but it penalizes on the host level. So if you've got all this low-quality, very poor content, that hurts you. So we really want to try to make sure that we're making a site as lean and mean as we can. So how does that dormant content affect somebody's incoming link value? And how can they correct that? Well, the incoming link value is that in many cases, most of those just have no links or it's just very low quality links. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to make sure that we're consolidating page rank and we're consolidating crawl budget. When we know index something, Google will say that, well, we don't count that against us, but they're still crawling it. That's why I'm never going to have someone no index 600 posts that aren't doing anything for them. That's a waste of time. Instead, we want to delete that stuff out, use the 410 so that Google just doesn't crawl it and we can recover any of that authority to flow through the rest of the other site. So that's also involving, when you ask the link question, I think the most important question there is internal linking. We want to make sure that when we've deleted this content, we've gone in, we removed links to that now deleted content, and that we're going to go ahead and make sure that anything that we can link to that is orphaned for, per se We've gone in and specifically updated and, and done accordingly. A lot of people are really critical of plugins like Yoast, and they're thinking, you know, and I, I'm not really one of them. I think Yoast has done over the last couple of years a very good job of improving the functionality of their plugin. And one of the things I like best about Yoast is that they have a built-in, if you upgrade to the premium version, they have a built-in orphaned content filter, which is exceptionally easy to use and very WYSIWYG. What you see is what you get for newer bloggers. Are you guys familiar with that? Oh, yeah. Orphan filter? Yeah. And the thing is, is that's incredibly easy for the average site owner who doesn't have a lot of built-in knowledge or has been giving or has been, you know, doesn't, you know, we want to make things as easy as possible mm-hmm. for these bloggers. That orphan content filter is a very simple way for them to see, oh, my gosh, look at this. I've got 1,000 posts on my site. 500 of them don't have links from anything else. So that's a problem. Yeah. That kind of internal linking, all just improving the internal linking is a good way to get this content that's just setting shallow on our site moving. So that's a and big, so that's a big that. takeaway for the listeners. I mean a lot of folks out there are thinking, hey, I've got all this content, kind of feeling good about it, uh, not really realizing that there may be a negative consequence to having all this old content rather mm-hmm. than a positive consequence. That's a good takeaway for the listeners. So, Casey, okay, so let's take it a, another, an opposite direction here. Let's say – Let's say it, it, not a food blogger, but maybe a service-oriented business where they're getting a ton of traffic to this particular article, but the article's not helping them complete the action. Do you know what I'm saying? It's, it's great content. Sure. It's getting good traffic, but it's, it really does nothing for the particular service. I think we the first thing to look at there is where is the intent mismatch? What is it about that page that's not causing that traffic to convert? Is it, uh, you know, we kind of see that a lot on law firms who, you know, we might publish. One of the things, for example, I'll give you an example. I might help answer this question specifically is that you know, I work with a law firm in San Diego or not San Diego, Los Angeles. They're a personal injury law firm and they have a lot of content on their blog, which drives a tremendous amount of traffic to their site. The content very seldom has anything to do with personal injury. As a matter of fact, one of the most uh, positive posts that they've published over the last couple of years was a whole 
post on Perry Mason. I mean, seriously, it's like the number one post on Perry Mason in the world. Perry Mason? Yeah, Perry Mason, the most famous trial lawyer in the history of the world in many cases. And he that post is really kind of just a fun post on the blog, but there's calls to action all over that post. And it drives people to sign up. Crazy. Really? That's one of the things that we want to do is that's an informational post that really drives a ton of traffic. We're talking five, 6,000 sessions a month just on this post because it's like literally the top post out there on for Perry Mason searches. And, and it drives conversions? And you drive conversions. It doesn't convert that well, but it still converts. Remember, they only have to think about a personal injury law firm. They might sign one. Let's say they sign one lead from that, and that one lead is a $10 million settlement. Yeah. yeah. Think about that. So it's really kind of doing a wide net with content like that. So I think in many cases, a lot of people miss the forest for the trees with content like that because that, that kind of content has a place. You hear people like, I'm never going to put anything on my site that's not completely and utterly related to my content. Well, that's fine, but you're just not going to succeed long term and, and with with that kind of mindset. It's all about the quality of the content. My goal is to provide, you know, and that's why when we recommended that piece, we knew that it was going to have success. We knew that it was going to have long on-page visits, that it would rank well, and that it would do well, but that the conversion on the piece might be low. Now, I'm not going to give away my age by saying I loved that show. <laughs> yeah, Perry, it's old. It's old. We're old. What can yeah. I say? Well, Perry Mason there, was there. the original CSI. Yeah, he was the Without original. Without the sex. Uh, <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. He was the original man. And so there's a – we get a lot of people. There's a very specific demographic that goes for that. And hey, guess what? That's a demographic that has a lot of slip and falls. Yeah. Well, we're, about that. we're heading toward a break, but I want to squeeze in one question because the jargon alarm went off in one of your previous answers. Uh, before we go to break, can you tell the folks what the BERT update is and distill that down for them? Then when we come back, we've got a thing to do after the break, but we'll go into the BERT update a little bit further. But before we go into the break, what was the BERT update? So kind of a, the simplest way to say that it was this state-of-the-art language model for NLP, which is also defined as natural language processing. And it was kind of a – think of Google as an engine, and they're kind of changing the engine out a little bit. And this happened back in – gosh, I think it was late October, early November when they announced that they'd been using BERT for about a year. I know that they'd initially – when we first started seeing rumbles of it, it was all the way back in November of 2018 – and they were saying that BIRD is basically – and again, I don't want to bore a lot of people, but BIRD is an acronym for bio, Bidirectional Encoder Representations from Transformers. And I know it's completely boring. If I ever want to put my wife to sleep very quickly, I just talk to her about natural language processing. And the key – the technical innovation is it, it is implying this bidirectional training, which means that now Google can look forward and backwards on intent in a specific paragraph. And it's really kind of crazy. In other words, they can understand the difference in a post on various intents. So if like I use, I guess you could say like, for example, one of the, one of the things that I would say is Google has gone from, they went from neural matching. It's like a natural evolution. They went from neural matching, which was relevance understanding, analyzing and understanding the language better. Then they went to rank brain. You guys remember rank brain? What was that about 2012? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe a little bit later, a little before that. And that was helping to determine searchers' true intent. And now we've gone to BERT, which is better understanding the nuances and context of words in search. So I guess a good reason for that when 
I mentioned the biodirectional part of it. So like it's about the meaning of senses. So like if I have a sense that says we went to the riverbank and then there's a second sense that says I need to go to bank to the bank to make a deposit, it can understand better the difference between the riverbank and then the bank that you would use to make a deposit. That's kind of the simplest way for me to kind of explain it to those on the call. It's all about context and that's biodirectional, allowing it to better understand forwards and backwards. It's really that's all that's happening there. So hopefully that jargon alarm is uh, silenced a little bit now. So it's time for the break. Uh, when we get back, we're going to talk about who influences the influencer. And that's sponsored by Directive at directiveconsulting.com. We'll be right back after these messages. Hey, Brennan here, founder of the U.S. Search Award winning SEO agency, Pixel Cut Labs. We're launching a new video series and we're inviting the Search Talk Live family to get involved. So here's the deal. I'm opening up a group of one-on-one consulting sessions to fix your SEO roadblocks. If you're okay with us publishing a recording of the call on our website to promote our expertise, the consulting session is on me. If you're facing a crawl issue, struggling with creating effective content, or just need some help identifying the right keywords to target, go ahead and take the next two minutes. Visit bit.ly slash SEO call. There's no spaces, no capitals, no hyphens. Bit.ly slash SEO call. And tell me what you need help with. If I think I can help, I'll send over a few times for our consulting call, and you can choose what works for you. So again, the link is bit.ly slash SEO call. No spaces, no hyphens, all lowercase. And it will take about two minutes to fill out. I'll bring everything to the table to help you break through the barriers you're facing, as long as we can use the recording of our call to promote our knowledge. Looking forward to hearing from you. Directive is an industry-leading search marketing agency fully focused on helping B2B marketing teams increase their results. If you're looking to increase your marketing qualified leads and decrease your cost per acquisition for search engines, I'd highly recommend you take a look at their site. We've actually had their CEO, Garrett Marguth, on the show, and I can honestly say these guys are doing some great stuff. I hear that they even have their own analytics system that lets you correlate your SEO, PPC, or content efforts directly to revenue. If you're a B2B company and thinking about switching agencies, or if you're in-house and need help, I'd give Directive a look. Visit directiveconsulting.com or call 949-214-4024. Again, that's 949-214-4024. Again, that's Directive at directiveconsulting.com. Your website analytics data probably feels like this. But it could feel like this. Making sense of all the website data available to you hasn't been easy until now. Smilelytics transforms your website analytics data into easy-to-understand memorable photographs. You pick your own photo theme. Smilelytics. S-M-Y-L-E-Lytics. Like analytics. Only happier. And it's free at smilelytics.com. Want to know how your website is doing? Get the big picture with pictures. It's the easiest and most enjoyable way to understand your website data. No charts, no graphs, no cost. Sign up today. Smilelytics. S-M-Y-L-E-Lytics. Like analytics. Only happier at smilelytics.com. Get your questions in on Twitter. Type hashtag search talk live and your question. 
Now back to the show. All right, we're back. And Casey, my friend, it's time for Who Influences the Influencer? All right. We want to know who influences you, my friend. Well, that's a good question. I like to go to the source whenever possible for – and as an auditor, things change so fast with Google performing these 3,000 experiments and updates a year. You really – it's impossible for any one person mm-hmm. to stay up to date for all those. So I tend to follow the Google mouthpieces as much as possible. That's Danny Sullivan over on Twitter. Sure. Gary Eish Gary as well. I follow him very closely. He hasn't done much recently. I think he's letting Danny and – John Mueller or John Mueller pick up all that slack. John Mueller specifically follow yeah. everything he says. You know, and then I, I network a lot with other with other SEOs in the know. You know, Alan Bywise, you know Alan, he's a big mm-hmm. SEO auditor. Uh, I talk to him very closely. Um, Ryan Jones. Ryan's a great guy. He's uh, an SEO God, what is he based in Michigan now? He's uh, he's still single, I believe, so he has tons of free time. <laughs> That's part of the criteria. It's part of the criteria. <laughs> Lily, Lily Ray, uh, she's great. She's in New York. We've got to know each other well. We, we we talk a little bit. We were supposed to be on a panel together for the Advanced Search Summit in Napa, which was next month. But of course, with all this uh, coronavirus stuff, coronavirus stuff, everything's been canceled. PubCon Florida was canceled, which yeah. was next week. Uh, probably be, uh, for those of you listening to this now, it's probably this week. And of course the. Advanced Search Summit, which is in Napa, that's was scheduled for the for late next month. That's off. I'd be shocked if SMX goes through XMX Advanced, which I believe in June. I don't expect that's going to happen. There's a lot of uncertainty going on right now, so it kind of at least we're you know we're we're networking. A lot of bloggers have started. Yeah, not sure if you guys have heard of this. These little uh, these little get-togethers, these little Zoom get-togethers. A lot of bloggers are not a lot of bloggers. A lot of SEOs are doing that kind of as a check-in on each other. So we'll. Uh, We'll see how that goes, but yeah, there's just a, just a couple of names there. I try to I keep my circle close, so to speak. I don't yeah. I oh. don't tend to follow anyone without checking other sources, whether or not that that's true or not true. Good good philosophy. So the Google Four, <laughs> yeah, that's a great name for them, by the way. Yeah, that's that's a Google, great name. Google, yeah, the Google Google Four, so to speak. Outstanding. Yeah. <laughs> well, we got into Bert a little bit right before the break, and you did a good job of explaining to to the listeners it's basically changing out the engine type in in the algorithm. Yeah. And it was a big one. How do people adapt the content that they're producing pre Bert, post Bert? In your mind, well, I tell you, one of the ways that we have seen quickly is just a tendency to over optimize. And man, Bert is really slamming bloggers post Bert. We're seeing a lot of changes in how Google is crawling and algorithmically scoring content. Uh, let me use an example. We, like I said, I'm in the food blogging, food, do-it-yourself lifestyle niche. There was an unannounced update last November, and it was a devastating one. And I was shocked that Google didn't come out and announce it as a core update because it was so widespread. Bloggers lost 30, 40, 60 percent of their traffic. Not kidding. We're talking. Hundreds of hundreds, thousands of bloggers are in mm. this, and we and we were overloaded. I'm, I, you guys are probably aware with Arsen Rabinovich. Arsen's a good friend of mine. He's based at Top Hat Rank. They're based in Chico, or she has a Chino. I don't know what what is Chico. I think it's I think it's Chico, California, outside of LA. Great SEO. Uh, you probably you guys probably know Ashley mm-hmm. Segura now. She just recently got married. She's great. They they all work together up there. He'd been helping me put together data on this, and they ran a study, which they just released, 
and they call it the November Google Update Study, and it and it goes over dozens and dozens of food lifestyle blogs that were affected by this. And the takeaways were pretty interesting because they lined up very close to everything that I was seeing in audits because I've done literally dozens of audits since that update went through. And we're finding now that over-optimization specifically was something that Google seems to be going after, specifically in the over-optimization of H tags. Mm. So what was happening there is that previously the advice was, you know, hey, you know, you'd go and you do some SEO course and there's a, there are a dime a dozen out there. Right. And one of the recommendations was, hey, you need to make sure that you put your focus keyword in every H tag on the page. <laughs> well, that was, that was number one. That was, I always thought that was horrible advice anyway. But number two, in a post-BERT world, that's getting sites killed because, you know, let's say we're doing a site, we're doing something on a corned beef. And I just saw that I just looked at a recipe today. You've got an H1 tag. There's, you know, perfect recipe for corned beef. And then we've got these multiple H2 tags, how to make corned beef. Here's corned beef ingredients. Your SEO tips for corned beef. Here's how to freeze corned beef. Here's, you know, and then you've got the recipe card. And most recipe cards also have an H2 where they just repeat the H1. Yeah. You can imagine how over-optimized that looks to Google. We're talking like 2 3 4% keyword density. And we're like, oh, my God, keyword density is a thing in 2020. It's, it's, it's reared its head again. It's now to the point where we can install a plugin. You know, I, I use SEOquake.com, which is a nice browser add-on that works great in Chrome and Firefox. And SEOquake will go and it'll tell me immediately, like, oh, my gosh, this is the target keyword. This is the focus keyword. And look at how much they've hit it. And I can – I can pull out the H tags and I see these H1, H2, H3 tags and every one of them has corned beef in them and people are wondering why they're suffering, why their content's not ranking. Yeah. And we just can't do that. And so we've been trying to dial that back. That's kind of one of the biggest things we've seen is that I think it's much easier now for Google to pull out conversational and non-optimized content. I think if you start writing more naturally and more for users and not for search engines – You'll do better. And I mentioned Yoast. I mentioned that I liked Yoast previously. And I'll tell you, one of the biggest criticisms I have for Yoast, and they've done better over the last couple updates, is this rote rule optimization approach where they're saying you got to have the keyword here, here, and here, and here. And now they've kind of dialed that back, realizing now that's not great advice because it looks unnatural. And we don't want to do that. And so the days of you writing a meta description with the keyword at the front or the days of you writing teaser text on the page at the very top and trying to get that keyword at the very beginning, that's over because people don't talk that way. Yeah. When I'm talking about, you know, this this corned beef recipe or something, I'm like, if you're looking for a great dish for your St. Patrick's get together, this corned beef recipe with this and this and this is the way to go. It's ready in ten minutes, takes four ingredients, your guests will love it. That's a lot more conversationally optimized than it would be corned beef recipe with lemon ready in 10 minutes what you need to know is this you know right. just people don't talk that way or best so, corned beef recipe is going to be yeah exactly so that's the kind of the biggest fallout i've seen what happened is we've got all these these ton of bloggers who are just hit in november basically they took a crappy seo course they were listening to their ad companies and doing all this stuff they shouldn't have been doing and then they didn't do anything because they were paralyzed with fear. So they waited thinking it was a mistake. And then January came out and on January the 13th, they had an actual announced core update. And guess what? Those same sites were hit again and dropped another 20%. And now they're like, Oh my gosh. Casey, correct me if I'm wrong. If I, if I recall that study, that study said that there were two different types of sites affected individual bloggers, kind of websites, but then they contrasted that with websites that had, 
larger landing pages where it aggregated a bunch of content. So if I was looking for a corned beef recipe, website A would say, hey, here's 100 corned beef recipes and they come from various places. And website B was somebody who was passionate about corned beef and wrote solely about corned beef. And website B was much more impacted by the bird update. Is that did I get that right? Well, I think there was some of that. A lot of that had to do with the reciprocal linking schemes that were happening on those sites is that they were doing roundups. I think, isn't that what you're referring to? Is that the, yeah. the second, there were, there were two groups of sites that were really impacted from this study. The first group is the over-optimization and that's a, an on-page content practice. And the second issue was the fact that there was a lot of, a little jinky as we call them, little Scooby-Doo action link schemes going on, which is that where a lot of bloggers were working with each other to do these roundups where they would just keep trading links where they would have these, you know, if you like this recipe, you'll love this recipe from here, here, and here. And they were putting those on the page and that's just, it's unnatural. And I think it also, it was a little bit easier post birth for Google to pull that information out too. No, sure, not sure why, but that just seems to be what the data was telling us there. So there's definitely a, a link component there. For sure, along with the fact that we had all this content over optimization going on as well, and that's that's another reason why you should go back to those old articles and revamp those and write them in a natural, yeah, setting. Yeah, and I, you know, a lot of this has to do with the fact that you know they're like, for example, a lot of health bloggers were were hit as a group, and they've been hit as a group since last June. A year ago, June, because there was a huge update, the June core update, I think it was on June the 3rd. I call it the Tiffany update because it happened on my wife's birthday, so it's easy for me to remember it. And the Tiffany update went through and just decimated a ton of health style blogs. We're talking bloggers who were pushing essential oils, bloggers who had specific types of diet like keto diets or they were having uh, low-carb diets. And what they were doing is they were making unsupported health claims. Mm-hmm. And they were going into these pages and they were saying, oh, you know, this 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 post – this." recipe here allowed me to self-heal from fibromyalgia or something along those lines. And they were putting all this information and they weren't supporting any of it. And only a couple bloggers have been able to bounce back. Only a very few bloggers have been able to bounce back in November and then bounce back in January. And they've done that by going in and of course adding support to health claims. They've actually had a health practitioner come in and actually add some support on these pages and actually provided clear citations where they're linking out to the National Institutes of Health or they're they're linking out to studies which support these claims or they're removing the claims altogether and the like. But with regards to most blockers, I think what was also being kind of pulled out on these updates, these continual core update hits that I think are going to continue through 2020, is that it was very hard for Google in Google's mind to see when something was followed, when, to see when something was advertorial or, or actual just a genuine link. So right. bloggers make a ton of their money from affiliate links, from affiliate and sponsored content. Many of them were – it wasn't overt enough. In other words, they have a whole post and there's 10 links in the first half of the post. Seven of them are affiliate links and they're no follow. Well, we can't tell that it's no follow. I can't tell if those links are there because of some affiliate relationship. So now what I've been seeing is more source those. Put a nice little, you know, a nice little, little uh, what do you call this? Ellipsis, little, uh, little ellipsis next to the link saying sponsored, yeah. or a little, or say affiliate. Say that next to the link so that we, so that there can be no misunderstanding at all that hey, this is an affiliate or sponsored link. 
and again, I wouldn't do this for everything like an Amazon link. But sure. if you know, if you were impacted, if you're on the call here and you've been impacted negatively by a lot of these updates and you have a lot of affiliate or sponsored content and you have just the disclaimer at the top and you haven't done really anything else other than no follow the links, maybe you take the next step, the next extra step of going in and being really overt about these links, making sure that they're very clear to a layperson, this is a sponsored link. Yeah. And I, I'd like to clarify too for the listeners this is not always a penalty. In most cases, it's not. It's just you yeah. drop off in, in rankings and that, you know, stuff like this can be fixed, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. obviously, got by going through the things that Casey is mentioning. And that's the thing about I'm a site auditor. So when we're looking at a site, it's never just one issue. I mean, I'm telling you about a very small amount of issues that a lot of these sites shared, but. Many of them also had incredibly low-quality content. They had speed and technical issues. They had canonical issues. Maybe they had poor hosting. Maybe they had schema errors. When we do a site audit, be it me or anyone else, our goal is to identify as many issues as we think possible to correct and improve the root quality of the domain as a whole. And that's what we're doing when we're looking at these audits specifically. That study from Top Hat Rank also affirmed that, of course – Page load speed affected rank for a lot of those bloggers that were hit. And one of the re- their recommendations was to limit ads and videos to improve load time. Sure. But that's going to be contradictory for a lot of bloggers who depend on that ad revenue. What advice do you give them? But they need the revenue, but some of those ads are, in hinder- are hindering their rank. Yeah, and that's true. And that's kind of the – that's a tough – that's a tough argument to have, but then again, we know based upon the data that in many cases, especially when I have an audit, I can't tell you how many dozens or hundreds of examples I have now where I removed a third of the ads and traffic went up two thirds. Not kidding. I mean, that happens all the time because we want to make the site as attractive as possible to users. We want to have it load faster. Now, most of the ad companies now are really on to trying to provide an optimized ad experience. They use what's called deferred ad loading, meaning that the ads no longer pop in first, which was a problem just a year ago. Now we have these ads loading later. They're loading the first, the content above the fold specifically loads first, then we have everything else, and then we have the ads pop in after that. So that's improved considerably. So we can lower the ads a little bit and not actually, you know, absolutely take RPM and the like. But there's some ads where I'm just completely against. Like I don't I'm not for any above-the-fold ads at all, period. I don't believe that they provide a good user experience. And in my experience, when we're tracking them, above-the-fold ads have the lowest RPM. And the reason they have the lowest RPM is because users immediately scroll down through the page. Yeah, that's so a big takeaway for enough. people listening to the show. So understand that there are changes that you can make that will very seldom have a slight impact on your bottom line but will have an incredible impact on the bottom line UX of your visitors. Now, a lot, of, a lot of bloggers are going to turn to AMP to improve their page speed, but you write that there's a downside to AMP. Oh, yeah. We definitely don't recommend AMP for any, any bloggers monetizing. Whenever we've removed AMP from sites that have been monetizing traffic and income has gone through the rough, and that's because most ad companies will tell you that the RPM on, our, on AMP pages are very low, just as a general consensus as a takeaway on a niche levels perspective i can find on one hand the amount of people in the recipe lifestyle and do-yourself niches that are even using app because the difference in the payouts have been so dramatic and here's the thing is that now you can optimize a site 
so well by using a, a stack that you're that the speed benefits are negligible. If you have a site that you're using something like uh, you're you're on a top quality host, be it Big Scoots or Agathon or WP Engine or something like that, and, and you're using a Cloudflare and you're using something like uh, WP Rocket, and you have 100% bulk image optimization with something like Short Pixel, and you've got lazy loading activated, and you've you're you're not you're loading fonts externally. I mean, there is a crap ton that the average blogger can do to optimize for bottom line speed to the point that the benefits of using AMP are so negligible it's not worth the fallout potentially on a financial standpoint. Yeah. It's just not worth it. You can literally get the average page with ads to to load close to what an app page would load these days. And it's just there's no need to do that. I agree. What are some Technical SEO issues. Give us your top two technical SEO issues that are most often ignored by bloggers and basic to intermediate SEOs. Okay. I would say probably the top issue that I see in audits that's being ignored by most SEOs is just better internal linking. Most SEOs and bloggers specifically because one of the things that – ad companies have done for a long time, and it's just horrible advice, and I call it out every time I see it, is they tell the bloggers not to optimize their sidebars. And that's just not a, not a belief. I don't believe in that at all. Because when we optimize a sidebar, what we're doing on a sidebar, and I'll explain this reasoning here very quickly, is that when we're optimizing a sidebar, we're providing a strong site-wide signal to Google where our top content is. I can, for example, on the average recipe blog, I might have them showcase seasonal content and I call that just-in-time content. That's content that we rotate based upon the season. So right now, St. Patrick's Day, for the last couple of weeks, a lot of bloggers have been showcasing St. Patrick's Day-themed content on their sidebar. And then we might have another section below that where we showcase our top recipes. Maybe they have five, six, or seven recipes or posts where a majority of their traffic come from. We want to reinforce that. We want to showcase to Google, hey, I'm linking to this. I'm linking to this on every page of my site. This is my best content, and it's going to reinforce their internal linking to Google that this is very important. And people say, well, Casey, you know, people are on mobile. That's the majority of our traffic. I'm like, correct. But the, the benefit of the internal linking doesn't go away. We're just moving that content to the bottom of the page. Most people will look at a site on mobile, but they'll come and bookmark it on desktop or actually go home and print out content on their computer from the desktop. And that's why we're really doing this. We're optimizing for both the mobile and the desktop audience. But just because they can't see the links on the mobile screen doesn't mean I'm not getting the benefit of those internal links reinforcing my type content. So, And it's so funny because bloggers will say, well, I don't want to do that because my ad company was telling me that that's going to lower the RPM of my ad on the sidebar because it's going to scroll less. That's true to an extent, especially on the average recipe page. We're talking – there are many pages, dozens of pages of scrolling, even on desktop, and that sticky ad on the sidebar is still going to be seen there a lot. There is literally – it's just not a big deal. But if you – what I have seen is when bloggers will come to me and they're like, Casey, I was doing so great, and then I had this tune-up on it with my ad company, and they told me to remove all these links. And here it is a month later, and my traffic is gone. And I'm like, no kidding. You removed all these internal links site-wide which were helping Google find and surface your best content. And then you removed all those away. So, or they do a redesign and the, and the, the designer, the developer doesn't understand internal linking that well and removes a whole set of links that were previously helping the site uh, 
you know, thematically surface up content that would have been more appropriate for the user at that point in time. And so we just really want to be cautious, internal linking, understanding how that affects content, understanding how that affects internal linking and traffic is very important. So I would say that would be issue, issue number one. Issue number two is just a, a failure to optimize for users. Very simple. Have we made the content easy to navigate on a mobile and desktop device? Have I covered it with ads? Have I made it fast loading? Have I used the appropriate schema? I mean, I just making sure that the content is not covered with ads a ton. If I'm scrolling down, I don't want to see 15 or 16 ads. We need to dial that stuff back. Make sure that it's easy for Google and for users to pull out snippets of information. Here's what this post is about. Here's links to supported information. If there's a recipe card, then we have a nice supported recipe card that's easy to get to. Jump and print buttons are very important here because you have some users who are going to come from sites like Pinterest, which drive a majority of uh, a, a growing minority of traffic for most bloggers. People from Pinterest have different search behaviors than other people. They want to get to the recipe card fast, so provide that access at the top of the post. Get them down to the recipe card so they can print it out and be on their way. Having them struggle through the entire post because you're trying to juice your income is just not a great user-first optimization, and that's not going to help you. Amen. <laughs> so one thing I did want to bring up too is when you're linking, internal linking from like blog posts and stuff like that, they're, not, they're sure that they're not using exact match anchor text. Yeah, I mean, most bloggers understand that if they're linking to another recipe, that they're they're switching that up internally. I mean, it doesn't look natural to have an in-content links linking to the world's best right. corned beef, whereas <laughs> I might just link, I might just link to corned beef or this Irish corned beef or something along those lines. We want to we want to we want to change that up. With regards to internal linking, a lot of bloggers struggle with the fact that they don't understand the difference between in-content linking and just including a list of links. Mm-hmm. at the end of the post. We don't necessarily want to include just a list of links at the end of the post. We want to make sure that we've wrote our content in a way that it's natural for users as they're scrolling down there saying, okay, hey, this is related. I can link over here if necessary. Or, hey, this would be a good complement to this. Right. And so on. I We've shown that in-content linking seems to be treated as much more naturally and more important to Google than just including a list of links. Yep. As kind of a giveaway or kind of a throwaway at the end of an article, so we try to we tend to kind of argue against that whenever we can. And pair those link with links with obviously the relevant content that ties to that. So yeah, and I think going back to what we were talking about Yoast and the orphan content filter, we really want to make sure that everything is interlinked as much as possible. I mean, we've we've had many examples where bloggers kind of be like, "Case, I can't get this recipe, or we can't get this post to move off page two. And we'll look and we'll find that it just doesn't have a lot of internal links to it. That's the first thing that we're going to do. We don't want to touch the page itself specifically first. Right. Let's look off-site. Can we toss a couple external links into the page? Can we go internally and see if there's a couple other related posts that are doing well? Maybe we can go in and pop those links in there. Now, I want to preface that by saying that I'm a big believer that we do not touch content unicorns. And a content unicorn is a post that's generating a significant amount of traffic for you. It's setting in the top three positions of Google. It might be number one. It might be number two. It might be number three. And it might be, in most cases, in that first row of carousels at the top. We just – we don't touch those posts. There is a lot of truly horrible advice out there where, hey, you know, if you want to increase your traffic, we need to target your top 20 posts per first. I cannot tell you how many times I've seen that tank traffic. Mm-hmm. 
we do not touch our top 20 posts or top 50 posts because we think it's going to improve. Because in many cases, where we're going to trigger a recrawl, that post is going to go down. Yep. Seven out of 10 times that post goes down, and it might only be temporary. But if you've got a post that's a unicorn and it's generating 60,000 clicks from you, and all of a sudden it drops from one to four, you have literally lost 40% of your ad income for that month. Yeah. Because you listen to some SEO or some bullshit advice from an ad company saying that that's what we want to focus on first. We don't do that. We don't touch these content unicorns. There's plenty of other content on your site, as I mentioned earlier. 60 to 70% of the focus content on your site doing absolutely nothing. Let's improve upon that first. There's plenty of other options out there. And if we're going to make changes to a top post, it better be because we have no choice or because it's something that we can't do or that it's imperative that we do. Maybe there's a misinformed issue there or that there's you know, maybe there's a technical issue but like for a recipe post as an example most recipe posts have cards recipe cards that are database driven so instead of, so instead of us going in and making changes on the post itself to this card we can go into the site through the database push all the schema changes or all the notes or whatever for the data card that way those go live on the page without us ever having to go in and touch the page itself. That's always what we want to do first. We want to use database connector or something so that we can push out the changes to the page without having to go in and click update and trigger a recross of the page, which might cause it to drop. All right. That's some great information. <laughs> um, I hope everybody's taking their notes. And if you, if you miss something, just, you know, obviously re- rewind or you have some good stuff there worth rewinding to catch all that. <laughs> But now it is time yes. for Believe It or Leave It, one of the most popular yeah. parts of Search Talk Live. Casey, we're going to give you three statements that we found on the internet from very reliable sources. And we're going to ask you to tell our listeners whether they should believe it or whether they should leave it. Are you okay. ready? Let's do it. All right, here you go. Number one, every piece of content should contain at least – a segment of information in a list format to improve chances of appearing as a featured snippet. <laughs> yeah, you can leave that. Um, that's not necessary at all. Featured snippets can be driven by paragraphs. They can be driven by in-content lists. They can be driven by, um, gosh, quotations. We don't need to – and in many cases, when you're talking about lists, you're talking about item list schema. We don't necessarily need to add item list schema to everything, nor would I ever recommend that. So mm. whenever I see a statement that says every, I immediately tune out. There's there's no such thing. Very good. Number two, your website host will automatically handle all the technical issues related to improving your SEO. <laughs> wow. Yeah, we're going to leave that statement too. Here, here's the thing is that most hosts try to have your best – uh, your best interest at heart, but they just they, they fail on the fulfillment. Even if you sign up with someone like Big Scoots or WP Engine who are using fully managed plans, yeah. they miss things all the time. I can't tell you how many times we've gone and seen that there's a chain redirect because they've into incorrectly configured Cloudflare or maybe that there's some issue where we've wrote – we've migrated the domain and the canonical got flipped. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Love that. We, we migrate www and it gets flipped to non www and people wonder why they had a why Google's recrawling their site over and over really fast because they're recrawling the whole site under a different canonical and that's never great. 
because now we've added that stuff. So, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in quality hosts matter, but sign up with the blog support plan. I, you know, my, again, personal experience here, I work very closely with Andrew Wilder, who runs NerdPress. It's NerdPress.net. Um, I have an affiliate relationship with the guy, but I'll be telling you right now, it's because he's the best. Hmm. He, they, they provide blog maintenance programs for some of the largest blogs in the world, mostly in the food lifestyle and do-it-yourself niche. Him and his team are very, very good at what they do. They always stay ahead of what's going on with changes. And if you're looking to whitelist your, your service, if you're looking to do nothing but blogging and have someone else handle all the technical stuff, find a program like Andrew's. You know, there's other ones out there as well. I know that Grace and Bill with iMark Interactive provides a service. It's a similar, similar in that idea, similar deliverable, but it's on a lower level. And then there, maybe there are other, there are plans with your host that you can sign up to that provides some kind of support. Take things like plugin updates and take things like security actions out of your purview and have someone who does nothing but that on a daily basis take care of and automate it for you whenever you can. Yeah, that's clearly a leave it. But Robert, I think you'd agree. You get a lot of uh, surprised looks from clients when you say that statement to clients. Like, oh, yeah. What? There's technical issues that somebody's not taking care of for my yeah. $19.95 a month? Yeah, yeah and that's yeah. tough. It's tough. Like, uh, like, for example, I know you guys are aware of how popular Bluehost is mm. for most new bloggers on the internet because Bluehost literally has the world's most well-known affiliate program. But Bluehost is literally terrible. I mean, when you sign up for Bluehost, you're literally locking a kitten in a closet. You know, it's one of those things where you are, you're, you're just doing things that are bad for the world. You should not be using Bluehost. And we've got all these bloggers when we go in and we're like doing Bluehost and we'll run some crawls against their site and the site will go down. They'll have micro outages. This is insane. Yeah. The site will just slowly, will go out for like minutes every day. All right. So and never, you never pick know a this. Host. So pick a quality host. There's plenty of them out there. All right. Number three, last one, believe it or leave it. A 404 error will not harm your organic rankings. <laughs> that is a that is a believe it. There is no such thing as a low quality score for 404s. Google, John Mueller, Gary Eish, um, everyone who's ever been with Google has said that multiple times. We want to correct 404s because sometimes they can be bad for user experience, but algorithmically, it's fine. I mean, a lot of people, I always get this question a lot, is like, what should we do with these 404s? I'm like, well, are they generating traffic if someone's continuing to hit that 404 then we need to look and see if there's a link internally that we can remove and eliminate that but the 404 itself is not going to be something that google's going to lower your site quality score for or, or affect you algorithmically that's just that's not how they work but if you have a, a link from another website that's bringing in quite a bit of traffic it behooves you to uh redirect that to that's something similar that's, something uh, that's productive sure well, let's talk about that because that's not really uh, an actual 100% true statement either. You would never redirect. If I've got someone – if I've lost a good link, my first thing is to reach out and find and have them update the link to something else. But Google's really clear that if we try to redirect something that's not related, like if I have an apple pie on my site and it has some good links but it's terrible, it hasn't generated traffic in months no matter what we do – we're not going to redirect that to a cherry pie. We're not going to redirect that to a category page, and we're certainly not going to redirect that to the homepage because Google has been very clear, and our testing shows this too. They treat that as a soft 404. It's just a complete waste of your time. It's got to so, be semantic-related. It's got to be yeah. contextually yeah, that's what I'm saying. congruent yeah. content. 
Yeah. yeah. If you've got another Apple Pie, fantastic. Otherwise, delete it. And if you have done a backlink analysis, reach out. Let's see if we can get them to update that link to something else that's more related. Yeah, ultimately, you would want to go out and get that link re- updated. But, you know, if you can't. Sometimes that's hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it, those are some of the SEO things that I think we as SEOs always make it sound easier than it really is. Sure. Oh, just go contact that person who created that link and they'll just update yeah. it for you. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it, that's why, again, where the just SEO Just look them up onto the internet and find yeah. their name and just email them. Uh, it doesn't, it's rarely that easy. But it's time for another great feature of Search Talk Live. And that, Casey, it's our Search Talk Live tattoo as we close out a very productive and informative show. What's your best piece of advice for the listeners, based on what we've talked about today, that is tattooable. Oh. Uh, how about trust but test? Mm, kind of X Files ish. Yeah, let's, let's trust but test. I, you know, you can see there's a lot of information out there. I, I see it all the time. I get one of the things I probably get. I don't know, 150, 200 emails a day, and a lot of those are from former clients who have been, "Hey, I read this, Casey." is this true? And I'm like, well, uh, they say this and here's what I believe. And Oh, by the way, you can test it doing this. So whenever we can, we want to really try to give users the tools they need or just the the resources that can, that we can to show what we're talking about. is not gibberish. It's not bullshit. And so trust, but test is certainly something I believe in. Absolutely. I I do want to get, I want to say something that I want to get off my chest. (laughs) I have clients that get these emails from these overnight SEO, I would oh, say. Yeah. I know. We all do. And they say, your site doesn't work on mobile and you've got to do something right. And I oh, get emails from clients all the time. What is this? What is this? You know? Why aren't you doing this? Right. Like, because yeah. it's, a, it's a template. <laughs> yes. It's a numbers game. I, I feel you. I feel you on that one. But yeah, it's to the point where I actually have templates and I would urge you guys to do that too. We can, we can template our responses. I actually have email templates and I can search through them based upon what the question is and I can personalize that and send it out. It saves me a little bit of time. Yeah. Good times. Well, I want to thank you again, Casey, for coming on the show. It's been awesome. A lot of great information. I can't wait to, uh, dive into it again myself, just kind of take notes, but, uh, I think it's uh, very informative. Yeah, yeah. I think particularly if you're running a blog, it was a great show for you to kind of listen to a couple times. Well, I tell you, now that we're all practicing social distancing, this is a great way to fill some time up. For those of you on the call, you should be catching up on podcasts. God knows I'm going to be listening to a lot of podcasts over the next several weeks and uh, hope it was helpful for everyone. Thanks yes. so much for having me. As yeah, check out some of our episodes. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Thanks for listening, everybody, and stay healthy out there and stay socially separated. Oh, one other thing, too. Casey, if, if someone wants to reach out to you, uh, how would they do that? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at MediaWise, M-E-D-I-A-W, Y is in yellow, S-E, or you can find me online at MediaWise.com, Facebook as well, forward slash MediaWise. Uh, and um, drop a line. Connect with me on LinkedIn. Happy to talk to you if I can. All right. Thank you so much, and I appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks again, guys, for having me. All right. Be safe out there. Search Talk Live is brought to you by Pixel Cut Labs, a 2019 U.S. Search Award-winning SEO agency. Welcome to page one. 
If you have a question about today's show or would like to be a sponsor, email Robert at searchtalklive.com. That's Robert at searchtalklive.com. 